begin uh, the first sermon of the year in prayer. Will you bow your heads? Even if it's uncomfortable for you a little bit, will you just open your hands there where you are? Just open them in your lap. God, we come before you with open hearts, open hands. There's a lot of things in 2020. I think we, we think we know some things that may happen. And there's a lot of things we don't know exactly how they're going to unfold for our own lives, maybe for our families, our jobs, our country, the world. But today, as we gather the first Sunday in 2020, we just want to declare the name of Jesus. You are our confession. And we're not going to swerve from that. So no matter what victories come our way, what successes, what storms, uh, you are our confession. So this morning, I'm asking us as a church to declare Jesus over our wealth, Jesus over our health, Jesus over politics, Jesus over the world, Jesus over our sin, Jesus is our salvation. He is the only way. He has conquered death. He's inviting us into him. And as a, as a church, we declare his name this morning, and everyone said, amen. amen. Happy New Year. Uh, missed a lot of you last week. I know many of you were traveling. Many of you may have been out because of sickness. Uh, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to jump online. Randy and Becky Fowler joined me and shared part of their testimony of the end of 2018 and 2019 and would love for you to hear that. You can jump online and check it out. Jump on our podcast and you can, you can see that. Back in 2003, I was part of, part of an event called Passion One Day. It was held in Sherman, Texas. Has anybody here ever lived in Sherman, Texas? Anybody? All right, some of you maybe, uh, Sherman's above Dallas, close to Oklahoma, and Passion One Day had launched back uh, a couple of years before I attended in 2003, so we gathered in Sherman, Texas. There was a, a follower of Jesus who opened up their land, acres and acres of land for 30 to 40,000 college students to descend upon this area for two days of worship and praise. So for over two days, around 30 to 40,000 of us slept in tents inland with porta-potties and porta-showers to worship Jesus. Now, I am urban as you can get. So this is kind of hard for me. I don't like sleeping in tents. I prefer to camp in Hilton hotels, all right, with, with AC. And I like to camp in places and sleep in places where I'm close to a, a Walgreens or a fast food restaurant or pizza delivery, not where I'm eating out of ice chests for two days. I like to camp in places where there's Charmin toilet paper somewhere close by, not a porta potty that I'm sharing with 30 to 40,000 college students. We got there the first night and we set up our tents and worship wasn't going to begin until the next day. So thousands of us were gathered in tents all across these fields, but where the worship was, where it was going to be, it was, it was roped off and there was a tower over it. And for 24 hours, they had people standing in the tower, praying prayers and reading the Psalms and declaring certain places throughout the Bible over that field in preparation for worship. So as you slept in your tent, it wasn't loud, so loud that you could hear every word, but you could hear this echo in the distance of something was being declared over the field you were about to worship on, which created anticipation in us that, hey, something's going to happen. Like they are asking, they are preparing the way for God to encounter people. 
And then we went onto that turf, and for two days, we gathered in worship services. And it was, some of the, it was my first experience to hear some preachers like Louis Giglio and Beth Moore, and to hear people who have, we've sung some of their songs today, like a Matt Redman and Christy Knuckles and Chris Tomlin and David Crowder and these worship ministers who have shaped so much of the music that we have sung for the last 20 years or so. They were there. And it wasn't until just a few weeks ago I heard a story from Chris Tomlin, one of the worship pastors who was at this event. He wrote a song that he wanted to sing for the first time at Passion One Day out in the field in Sherman, Texas. But he was wrestling with the song and he thought he had it together, but it just wasn't coming together. And it was based on Isaiah 6 about the holiness of God. And shortly before the event, Louis Giglio came to him, one of his close friends, and Louis Giglio said, hey, how about you also go read Nehemiah 8? So he read Nehemiah 8, which is also about the holiness of God and men and women and children who gathered to worship God. And they, they stood before God for hours in Nehemiah 8, hearing the word of God read, praying prayers, confessing their sins, honoring God. And, and from Isaiah 6 and Nehemiah 8, Chris Tomlin formed a song. But then when he was backstage, while one of the preachers was up there preaching in front of all of us, Tomlin wasn't sure if he wanted to sing it or not because he wasn't sure if it was going to connect. So his worship band was prepared to sing it, but he wasn't sure if he wanted to. So they had another song that they were going to audible to if Tomlin didn't feel like singing that one. And right before he went on stage, he felt like we need to sing it. And little did he know he was about to introduce a song that would be played and downloaded millions of times and sung in dozens and dozens of, of countries all over the world that goes like this. We stand and we lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The first time he introduced this song, the first time he sung it in a worship setting, I was there. So the story goes that as he was singing this song in front of all of us, he closed his eyes because he wasn't sure how it was going to connect. So he was just offering this as an offering before God. And he opened his eyes and he looked out and what he saw were thirty to 40,000 college students with their hands raised, crying out to God together. Sometimes for you, praise is probably easy and sometimes praise may be difficult. In a setting like that, praise was fairly easy. And that's one of the first times God really taught me that, hey, God can show up in powerful ways in acapella settings, and God can do some really mighty things in instrumental settings. God can do things through preachers who grew up all their lives in churches of Christ, and God can do things through people like Louis Giglio and Beth Moore who may know very little about churches of Christ at all. God can do things through people who gather in a field and chose to worship God without moving their body at all, and God could also do things through people who chose to worship God on their face with their hands up, and there was no one judging anybody else because we were there wanting a generation to raise up for Jesus. One thing you do see throughout the entire Bible is that praise echoes throughout the Bible. And there's a lot of times it's not offered as an option. It's offered as a command, like this is just what you do. The Psalms ends, the last five Psalms are hallelujah Psalms or halal Psalms. So they go like this. One of them is Psalm 148. And it's praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. And it keeps going. You may read Psalm 40, 148 and you may think, wow, how creative for someone to write a psalm like that. Or you may read it and think, that took no, no cre creativity at all. It's like someone just praise him and just fill in the blank. 
Just everything you have is, is praising God. So there are, here, here are four different psalms where the word praise shows up. Just look at these. And, and there are hundreds of times in the psalms and throughout the Bible the word praise shows up. But in Psalm 6930, it says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 27, 6, at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing praises and make music to the Lord. In Psalm 54, 6, I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name for, for it is good. Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. I want you to look at those four because in your English versions, that word praise, it, it's praise. Yet in all four of those verses I have on the screen right now, it's a different Hebrew word for each one of them. I'm not trying to confuse you today, but it's kind of like in the Greek, there are four different words in Greek, three that show up in your Bible about the word love, that we use love for a lot of different things, right? But there are three different ways that the New Testament may talk about love. And in, in, in the Hebrew, in the Psalms, there are over seven Hebrew words, over seven Hebrew words that are translated and to the English word that we have called praise. Now, I don't want to confuse you with this. Like, you have no chance to understand the depth of praise. But part of it is, you will never understand the depth of praise. God can't be confined to one word that we offer God or that we bring before God. There, there's no way. If anything, I want you to delight in the fact that praise is such a loaded word. There's no way we could ever wrap our minds or our hearts around it. Because God has done so many great things among us. He's already done enough for us to praise him for the rest of our lives. But what I want you to know is that the different ways Hebrew uses the word that we now call praise. There are times where the Hebrew, what it's saying in these Psalms, even as you look up on the screen, some of them, it is a shout that you offer up before God. Some of it, it's a declaration of allegiance and adoration and that we are honoring the, the creator of the world. For sometimes when you read the word praise, it is a, a form of storytelling, something you are doing so that other people can hear the stories you're telling about God. Sometimes praise is about posture. It's a, it's a word that when you see the word, it's, it's about kneeling before God, bowing before God, lifting hands before God, clapping before God, and dare I say, dancing before God. That praise involves your heart, your mind, your body, your past, your present, your future. God has done so much for us to try to capture what this word means. But it doesn't keep the Bible from trying. I preached through the book of Hebrews last fall. And one thing I didn't get to, but in Hebrews 13, last fall, the one thing I didn't get to, in Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews says this, chapter 13, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. I think most of you understand what a sacrifice is, and maybe you understand somewhat what praise is. It's adoration, it's affection, it's honoring someone. A sacrifice of praise. I love that phrase. Now, part of what the author of Hebrews is saying throughout the book of Hebrews is throughout a lot of the Bible, you had to bring a sacrifice before God. 
And that sacrifice was in the form of an animal that would be slaughtered and it would, it would stand for your sins being forgiven and you would have to do that over and over again. So depending on what kind of money you made, you may bring a bull, you may bring a, a lamb, you may bring pigeons, you may bring doves, you may bring cats and raccoons. And uh, you didn't have cats and raccoons in. But it was animals that you brought before God to be slaughtered. They were sacrifices. And the good news with Jesus is you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus has become the ultimate sacrifice in your life. Once and for all, Jesus offered himself so that we don't have to offer lambs and pigeons and doves anymore. We don't have to offer those kind of things. Jesus has become the ultimate sacrifice. But follow me here. Just because we don't offer animals anymore and just because Jesus has become the ultimate sacrifice doesn't mean that God isn't asking for sacrifices anymore. That there's this sacrifice of praise that we have to offer up God every day of our lives. It's not animals. It's not so you can be saved. It's a response to everything God has done. So the way Hebrews, the very next verse, how it, how it talks about it is this. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess, confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So when sacrifice of praise means the way the author of Hebrews is talking about this is, this is a confession that comes from you about the name of Jesus being the Lord over your life. Because we offer up this sacrifice of praise, this should mean something of how we treat other people around us. That our praise to God aligns us with God in a way where now we are ready to try to dispense goodness throughout the world. And the author of Hebrews is picking all this up from the Psalms and places throughout the Bible. In Psalm 54, verse 6 and 7, it says this. David says this. I will sacrifice free will, a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles. And my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. A free will offering was an offering that you could offer up to God at any time. It wasn't just a, a, a specific time of year that you were supposed to bring a lamb before God or a sacrifice before God. A free will offering is that you were so propelled or compelled in your life by what God has done that it may not even be a Sunday morning. It may not be the right festival. You just have something you want to offer up to God. In a way, a free will offering is what we do for God every day of our lives. Whether it's time you were giving to God in prayer and study and service, whether it's what we did just a few moments ago of offering up to God, a free will offering of some of our finances to God and to the good, good of the church. This free will offering is, it's, it's, God has done something and it may not be Sunday morning and it may not be a scheduled worship time, but here's what I have to offer up to God. David comes back to this idea of praise and sacrifice multiple times in the way he connected to God. In Psalm 51, it's one of the darkest psalms that David prays because it's right after he committed an affair, murder, cheated on, his wife cheated on God. He cheated, he lied. So Psalm 51 is David's cry to God for repentance. It's David realizing how deep he is in his sin. And when he gets to verse 15, what he offers up to God in Psalm 51 is this. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, God, 
you will not despise that. Now, David's not singing in this psalm like God doesn't care about sacrifices. Because if David's trying to make a point like that sacrifices aren't a part of what God asks, he's going against scripture. God asks for sacrifices. What David realizes in his life is that ultimately what God wants is the heart of the one who's offering a sacrifice. Because even today, you can offer up all kinds of sacrifices and offerings in your life, but if your heart's not in it, that's not what God wants, right? You can offer up to God your perfect attendance in church all year, yet if your heart's not there, that's, that's not what God wants of you. You could bring before God all the songs. You could sing every song this morning, but if your heart wasn't connecting with God, that's not what God wants for you. What David's saying in Psalm 51 is, I could bring you every sacrifice, but if my heart isn't in a place of wanting to connect with you, this isn't what God desires from us. So here are four things I want you to take home about praise. And I'm hoping and praying at least one of these will connect with you, and then I'm going to unpack these over the next few weeks. But here are just four things that, what praise is. Number one, praise is God-centered. It's not me-centered. It's not we-centered. Praise is not about how comfortable you feel. In fact, praise may be the most uncomfortable you ever feel. Praise is God-centered. To enter into praise, whether it's in the quietness of your home, you alone with God, or in what we are offering up to God this morning while we're in this room, is not about how you leave feeling. It's about was God honored by your presence here? What kind of sacrifice have you offered up to God this morning? With your heart, your mind, your time, your offerings? It's God-centered. Praise is a response. Praise, we are responding to who God is, to what God has done. And whether it's you alone with God in your car or in your house or in a room like what we're doing this morning, this is a response to God. God's already performed everything we need for salvation, deliverance, reconciliation, it's, it's how we respond to God. And even when we're evangelizing or we're doing service, this is our response. Our praise to God aligns us with God so that now we're, we're ready to go out and do the will of God in the world. Number three, and I love this. I'm going to talk about this one next week. Next week's our new arrival blessing day. And praise is about storytelling. One of the things I love about the Psalms is you're not going to have a lot of Psalms that try to tell you how to hit the right note when you're singing songs. But Psalms are declaring stories that when God does a new thing, there's often a new song that goes with it. So a lot of songs are trying to tell stories of what God has done and how God has delivered. And this became a way that they would share this with the next generation, that storytelling and how well we tell stories and bear witness and give testimony to what God has done in our own lives is how the good news of, of, of God for them and for us, the good news of Jesus is spread throughout the world. And fourthly, and this is going to be a challenge for you. I'm going to preach on this in a few weeks. But praise involves your whole body. And I, and I encourage people sometimes, you don't have to lift hands and clap and close your eyes and bow and, and, and all that stuff in worship. You're going to do it for eternity. So you might as well find some place in your life where you're practicing it now. But you can't talk about praise or understand praise without wrestling a little bit with what this means about bringing your heart, mind, body, soul, emotion, all you have before God. And I often pray it before you. A lot of times in my own life, I've, I have found my heart will follow where my posture takes it. 
When I'm in a place in my life, I'm struggling to surrender to God. Often I'm praying and more like my hands are closed. But when I open my hands and open, my, my heart often will follow it there. Praise, it's God-centered. It's our response to who God is. It's storytelling and it, it takes everything we have. We, we bring it before God. Let me show you a psalm that I often pray over you as a church. And let me just walk you through it so you can see how these elements play out. Psalm 40. And this is a psalm of David. And it goes like this. I just want to take you through the first eight verses. In Psalm 40, it begins with this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. As David starts with this psalm, it's God-centered. It's who God is. It's what God has done. Right? He is responding to who God is. There's storytelling in this. And he's crying out to God. He's bringing everything he has before God. In verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. You see that show up quite a bit in the Psalms and in the Bible. This new song God gives us when God does a new thing. God is often asking people to write a song about the new thing God has done. In verse 4 and 5, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to even declare account. And I love this in verse 6. Right. Sacrifice and offerings you don't desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you don't desire. He's not saying God hasn't required those things. In the Old Testament, those things were required. But David knows that for a heart to connect with God, it's more than just a sacrifice you bring. It's the heart that you bring to it. So in verse 7, it says, Then I said, Here am I. Here I am. I've come. It's written about me in the scroll. It's like David's bringing the scroll of his life. These moments when he's been in that pit, he talks about in verse 1 and 2. Down in that mud, he's bringing the scroll of his life before God, taking it before God. And then he has this cry, this confession, verse 8. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. So um, this church has, has lived out this idea of sacrifice of praise for over four decades now. In the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, God has done amazing things in the life of this church. How many of you have been here since the doors of this church were opened in the late 70s? This is a show of hands. How many of you were not born when the doors of this church opened in the late 1970s? This is a show of hands, right? <laughs> it's about 12 years ago this month that I got a call from Sycamore View. It's Reggie Crawford. He was an elder at the time. Reggie called me. I was preaching in a church in Houston, Texas. And Reggie called and Reggie said, hey, we're looking for a preacher. People have told us about you. We're a little skeptical because you're so young. But would you be interested in having a conversation? And I said, thanks for calling. We're not interested. God bless you. We hung up. About two weeks later, I get another call from Reggie. Hey, man, we're looking for a preacher. I know we already talked, but... Would you be open to a conversation? And the second time I said, thanks so much for calling. We feel like we're really firm where we are. God bless you. Hung up the phone. Then Lynn Anderson, a grandfather in the faith to me, a man who didn't, he did some consulting with the leaders of this church probably 13, 14 years ago. Lynn calls me and Lynn said, hey, Josh, there's a church in Memphis, Tennessee. They've called you twice. They're about to call you again. And I'm just asking out of love for me. And Lynn was in Zambia on the porch of David French, a missionary from Sycamore View, when he was calling me in Houston, Texas. 
And Lynn said, out of just love for me, will you just talk to him? Lynn's one of the five people in my life that if he asked me to start walking to his house in San Antonio, Texas today, I would do it. I would Uber part of the way, but I would go, all right? <laughs> so Reggie called the third time. And Reggie said, I know Lynn just called you. Will you have a talk? So Casey and I agreed to have a conversation with Sycamore View. Next thing we knew in February of 2008, almost 12 years ago, we were on a plane coming out here to interview. When we landed, Jim Hinkle and Verlin Harp were in a church van to pick up Casey, me, and at the time, Truett was about eight months old. And one thing I loved is Jim, Jim Fashion right here, before he took us to a church building, before he took us to eat, he started taking us on a little tour of Memphis. Wanted us just to see what Memphis had to offer. I remember going by the Civil Rights Museum and, and other places in Midtown and stories that were told and places, I mean, historical places. And we could feel our hearts kind of like beating like, oh man, like this may be a place that God is doing some really good things. And then we interviewed with the elders and we met the staff, everybody but Mark Taylor. I did not meet Mark Taylor until I was on the job here, three weeks on the job. I don't know what was going on. So I met all the ministers, met all the, uh, most of the elders. And then right before we were going to board on the plane, the night before that, uh, Jim and Stacy took us out to eat and we ate at some Memphis places and we ended up at the Cheesecake Corner down close to the Civil Rights Museum. And that is where the calling of God came on my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is it, Casey. What do you think? It's, man, the Lord is called. <clears throat> and it was at an interview we had the night before that. They were sitting with the search team, and they started sharing the story. That around 2005, you as a church, you, you entered into a season of prayer and fasting. On, should we stay in this location, or should... Should we leave this place and move somewhere else? How many of you are part of that season of prayer and fasting in the life of this church? And the decision was made after a season of discernment was to stay right here in this location. So even though we were at this house and they were supposed to be interviewing me, what they start doing as a search team is they start bearing witness to who God was. So Betty Litton goes and she starts getting all these pictures in this binder. And she started showing us pictures of a morning in this church where every family unit was encouraged to take a smaller cross and go out in the front yard and nail it into the ground, forming a larger cross. How many of you had a, a cross that you put out in our front yard? And so I, I went back and I, I got some of these pictures and just started going through them this past week. Of these smaller crosses that you started nailing in the ground as a way to say, hey, this is where we are. And we're asking God. We're not just staying here. We're staying here asking God to use us, to be a light for this community, to be salt in the earth. And then it was, I mean, that, that right there, this vision and this commitment of wanting to be a sacrifice of praise, of wanting to live for the glory of God and to see what God would do in and through a church who decided to stay in a transient community. That right there started pulling at our hearts. And Casey and I got on a plane and went back home and we were like, uh-oh. I think our hearts are being pulled because if a church is willing to make a commitment like that and try to follow God in a way that's going to be super messy, maybe we could be a part of a vision like this. And what I love is that we could go back through almost every decade of the life of this church and we could see stories of what God has done to save people and redeem people and unite this church and carry us through dark times and hard times. And, and today in 2020, we can say that the story that God is writing for Sycamore for you isn't over, it's still unfolding. And we're choosing 
to follow Jesus in a way into 2020 and into the 20s of God. We don't know exactly what you want to do with this. We're just offering up all we have to you that God, will you use this church to advance your kingdom right here in Memphis and beyond. So this is a year that we get to pray like we've never prayed before. That we get to love as if eternity depends on it. That we get to swear allegiance to Jesus above everything else. And that we get to live as a sacrifice of praise. So I want to ask our prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people. We have elders in the front. We have prayer leaders here. This may be a day that you want to commit or recommit to the Lord. Our vision of this church is we, we want to be about the restoration of God. This has been language we've used now for eight years. So we want to be about restoring hearts, relationships, and communities throughout the world. The mission of this church for just over 15 years has been helping people see Jesus. Four words. You hear us talk about it a lot. You see it hanging on our sign. And what we've asked of members and new members now for just over four years is our five commitments is we're asking you to discover, make a commitment to discover, to connect to a body, whether that's through life groups, small groups, Wednesday night church, a body that is deeply concerned about spiritual formation and growth, to commit to service, to commit to giving, and to go into the world. And as we do this and commit to this, we wait and see what God will do. Let's stand together. Let's sing a song.